Hello, dear listeners. This time, Joe and I will be discussing a hidden gem that maybe a lot of people know about. Maybe it's not as hidden as we think. But this is Layer Cake, starring Daniel Craig in what seems like, what is it, an hour and a half, two hours? Audition for his role as James Bond. There are so many moments in it where you just, you see it. You see the Daniel Craig Bond forming. You do. That was, it struck me in this movie as I'm like, is this, this was well before Bond, so... They must have. Hey, you, I, I want to audition for this role. Did you did you see this movie that I did? I think it was the first scene where he's holding that Ruger, in the in the Bond pose. You know the way that I have a uh, picture by my bar here at home with Connery holding his gun like that. You know, it's the <laughs> same thing. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I'm sure as soon as whoever was looking to cast someone saw that, they're like, "This is our guy." It was very Bond like. When he was cast, it was kind of funny, just as a side note. You know, people, you know, people now like race and gender swap characters all the time because they make this argument like it doesn't matter. You know, as long as the, their behavior is true to the character, it doesn't really matter what they look like. You know, mm-hmm. like Jason Todd in Titans is played by a kid who doesn't really look like what I would expect a real life version of Jason Todd to look like, but he acts right. And I like it. Okay. Like, I think he's actually really good in the role. It's just, oh, that looks different than what I would have thought. You know, a lot of the it. Well, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And if you flash back to like 2007 or whenever Casino Royale came out. Yeah, there was a portion of people on the Internet losing their minds because the guy playing James Bond didn't have black hair. Sean Connery didn't have black hair. Well, okay, didn't have dark hair. Yeah, because he was blonde. blonde. Yeah, they were upset about it. I do remember that being a thing for a short while. Yeah, it's such an odd thing to be concerned about, of all things. But it's like, as soon as you see him in the role, the way he behaves and moves. And I mean, he's so he's so good and he's so great in this, too. Yep. I guess we're kind of giving away a little bit of how at least I feel about it. (laughs) But yeah, this is a 2004 Guy Ritchie movie, right? It is indeed. Yes. And it essentially is a like drugs and gangster movie set in england london mostly but yes yeah it it, yeah it ranges a little bit but mostly london and it involves kind of a little bit of a whodunit type story Mm -hmm. there's a parcel of drugs that somebody's trying to move and kind of a tangled web of people trying to sell it buy it find it move it you know and then trying to determine what their motives are the way I'm saying it makes it sound more procedural than it is because it's a very organic feeling movie. All the things that you learn about, hear about the characters you meet, it all feels very real and natural. You know, well, yeah, it makes sense that this guy would enter the story at this point because this is his motivation for doing that. It makes sense that he's talking to her at this point, you know, Tammy, because he needs this piece of information or whatever else. Yeah, there's, I think in the beginning, there's a little uh, exposition talking about who this main character is. He's espousing a little bit about what his life is, what he's doing, how how what he's doing works. This is why it works. But for the majority of the movie, it's not really that. It's not people just, you know, expunging information to us. 
it's showing us things and characters being introduced. And I, I felt like it was very unlike other Guy Ritchie movies. I think there's less humor in this than you find in a lot of Guy Ritchie movies. And even the style and pacing of it, movies like Snatch or Sherlock Holmes, they're just, it's just different than some other ones of his that I've watched. I don't, I wouldn't even say I've watched that many. I wanted to watch the one, the King Arthur one that he did recently, and I haven't gotten an opportunity to watch it yet to see how it is. But just based on the previews, it seemed very much just the preview that was cut up seemed very Guy Ritchie-like. Whereas this movie, if you didn't know that it was done by Guy Ritchie, you might not pick that out just based on how the movie plays out. Right, compared to something like Snatch, which we were talking about last night and Mm -hmm. threatening our respective partners with having to endure both movies. Oh my gosh, that would be not fair. (laughs) In comparison, they're, yeah, they're very different. They feel different. You know, I didn't even think about it as being anything like other Guy Ritchie movies. So how would you like to do this? Do you want to, I think we should avoid spoilers for this one, even though it's what, 17 years old at this point? It's, it's, it's not young. It is not young. No. Um, but it's still, I don't want to talk about a whole bunch of spoilers with it. Yeah. It's a movie that I found just by chance when I first saw it, I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't, looking for anything like it. It was just somebody, something that somebody recommended, you know, and I didn't know who Daniel Craig was. I didn't know anything about Michael Gambon. I didn't know Tom Hardy. I didn't know any of the guys that were in it. I, well, the, the guy who plays Gene from Star Trek, I, I recognized him, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. Colm Meany. That's a, yeah, that's a and that he's, he's great in this. Uh, like I told you last night, I've liked him since Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, he was on what, Next generation, and I then really so. as a very minor character that eventually had a little bit more storyline to it, but he really was one of the main characters on DS9. But I've liked him in most other things outside of Star Trek that I've seen him in. Yeah, I like him as an actor. He's good in roles like this. He's not. He's not ever going to be like a leading man in most things, I'd think. But this was. It was just fun to see him again. Mm-hmm. Unlike you, I knew about this movie. And because of having watched Snatch before it, and after watching Snatch in the theater, it immediately like jumped into my top five movies of all time. It yeah. might not still be in that category, but I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed how it was done, and so it made me, you know, kind of keep my ear to the ground for anything Guy Ritchie that would come out because I really liked the style in which it was filmed. And so when this came out. Me and my buddies were all hot to watch it. I don't think I appreciated it as much, you know, 17 years ago when I watched it as I did yesterday. Uh, I think there were some things that, like I said, it doesn't feel as much like a Guy Ritchie movie. So I think part of that is why back when I originally watched it, and it was probably a year-ish, two maybe at the most after it came out, because we didn't see it in the theater. We saw it when it came out on video. We rented it. But because of how different it was from, you know, a movie like Snatch, and I I expected it to be something similar to that, where Snatch dealt with diamonds, this deals with drugs. I I expected Snatch with drugs. But that's not Mm -hmm. what you got. But that doesn't necessarily make it inferior to 
Snatch. It's really its own beast. I like the gangster aspect. I like the aspect where Daniel Craig, you, his name is XXXX. Like, that, that's it. There's no name for this. Even in the IMDb, it's just four X's. Like, X to the fourth. How mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know how you want to, how you would, re- <laughs> how you would say it. But it was really interesting following him through this movie as somebody who's doing this. It's criminal activity. He's in the drug trade and he wants to get out. That's, yeah. that's like his goal. I'm going to make this last, do this last part of my job, making somebody lots of money, making me lots of money in the process. And then I'm going to, I'm going to F off and retire. That's it. Yeah. See ya. As a, as a fairly young man, it's a young Daniel Craig in this young ish, like mid thirties. It's Yeah. It's hard to tell, but I got the impression because he doesn't really age normally. <laughs> he just gets a little bit bigger, right? Like from this to um, Knives Out, he just mm-hmm. got a little bigger. A little bit. But he really didn't look any different in Casino Royale. Yeah, but that was only a few years after this. Yeah, but I mean, just so in really general. Really similar he, time frames. It's tough to tell how old he is. Um, I was going to go somewhere and I don't know where it was. <laughs> but I, I thought it was interesting in this, following him through this story and how he viewed everything how everything was played through or off of him, the shenanigans that he found himself getting caught up in, the characters which he was dealing with. I liked a lot of it. I liked a lot of the characters. I recognized people from other things, which is always fun. A very young Tom Hardy in this. Yeah. He looked like, I don't know when Inception came out, but he reminded me of his character from that. That slick back hair. It just kind of reminded me of him, but... If you see Inception compared to this, he's definitely older in that than in this. It was it was a fun ride. It wasn't super action packed, but there was a lot of intrigue, a lot of like you said the who done it, but kind of kind of a what's going on. Mm. Like one thing leading a life one of the things that I wrote down, and I didn't write many notes for this, but one of the things I remember writing down talked to, I was I was thinking about the fact that when you're in this life, when you're dealing with these people, you know, the Godfather-esque, you know, tiers of people who are above you in the criminal enterprise, yeah, the criminal underworld as it is, that your life isn't always your own. Like, you have these plans of what you want to do, and that doesn't mean they're going to let you do it. If you're making money for this person who's a criminal, it's not like when you're really good in sales or in a show like Mad Men, and you'd be really good at advertising, but then you say, you know what? I'm putting in my time. This is it. I'm done. And all they can do is say, well, it's been great. Have a great one. Yeah. It was fun to kind of think about it a little bit afterwards in comparison to other Guy Ritchie movies, especially considering this one seemed a little more grounded. Does that make sense? It's kind of funny that the one about drugs was more grounded than the one about diamonds. For sure. The Snatch, that movie, was definitely more farcical in the things that happened and how everything came together than this one was. But I think the... I love the intro scene. The cinematography of it, the way they're going through scenes, it's taking you through different time periods and how drugs develop from this kind of niche thing that wasn't a big deal and nobody took seriously, you know, explaining that 
there were bank robbers doing more time for stealing way less money than, you know, the drug sales that some of the hippies, as he put it, were making and realizing the criminal world, realizing that this is where the money was. And now the people who used to report on problems with drugs are the ones using them. And they're just kind of getting their cut before somebody else comes in who's even bigger and realizes like there's there's a lot of money here when you mm-hmm. did making this. And there are all these little moments in it that they're great. They're great quotes, but they're also really good insights. And there are things I actually legitimately think about in my own business. You know, things like where he says, everybody likes to walk through a door marked private. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to walk through a door marked private. So you've got, you know, it, it's a thing to think about to to make your I mean, in this, he's talking about making himself feel special, but it's a genuine thing to think about. Make people feel special. Yep. You know, do something for your customers, your clients, even your employees, whatever it is that you do. And, uh, you know, he leads into like when you're doing this kind of stuff, like it's so different from other like a drug operation you would find in a Batman movie where mm. they're super brutal. They're probably all doing the drugs. You know, we, we kind of see it with the Duke. The Duke is very cartoonish. Yes. And then you'll have Daniel Craig's operation, which is, you know, we only deal in these amounts. We don't deal on the street. We only deal with people who come recommended. We yeah, it's very businesslike. Yeah, we he says we don't you know, that's not to say we don't weave that bit of magic that turns two kilos into three, but never get too greedy. Like all these lines that they don't cross, like they just operate in a as far as you can for a drug operation, a respectable way. I mean, as as much as you can. Sure. And the one thing, especially, you know, for somebody like me who's entering into like an entertainment type business where you have alcohol and things like that involved. I like the particular part where he's saying, you know, just stay. I'm not going to repeat the language because we'll have to put the explicit thing on this episode. But he's like, and stay away from the end user. Right. And at the same time, it's it's putting what he's doing against what the Duke is doing, which is everything he's not supposed to do. Yes, absolutely. You know? And he's it's, saying it's they don't very... need to screw up. They just do. Those characters are, are a contrast of one another. Yeah. The way you are supposed to do these things and what happens to you if you don't do these things. But mm-hmm. the thing I thought that was interesting with Daniel Craig's character, even with trying to do everything right, just because of where you are, you know, kind of on the totem pole at that point, it might not matter. You might get, you know, sucked into this world that you're trying to get out of more than you ever expected that you would. And that's almost what this entire movie is about. It's from where he starts to where he ends. And he, he ends with this quote of have a plan and stick to it. Something, you know, have a plan and, you know, and follow it. Yeah. And that's, it's a really good idea. It doesn't mean that you can't be, you know, malleable to some degree, depending on your circumstances, what happens around you. You're trying to, start a business and you have a plan of these are the things I want to accomplish to get it up and running. Doesn't mean you can't, you have to stick to that no matter what you have to be able to, you know, bend slightly one way or another to deal with problems, things that arise, but having that ultimate goal. And when you get there, not being so greedy to say, well, yeah, maybe I can still keep making money. I can still keep like what, uh, Jimmy, yeah. was a character said people like you make too much money for people like me. Right. And that's so why you can never get out. Right. Because of, you can never get out because that's implying you can't get out because I won't let you get out. It's really ba- all that's in, being implied there. 
Yeah, he says this... it and then kind of passes it off like it's a little bit of a joke, kind of plays with <laughs> him a little bit, makes that really terrible quote. And he's like, who said that? And he's like, I don't know, Churchill. And he's like, nope, it was me. Good boy. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, considering all the people I guess he could have said, Churchill was probably a good one to go with. Yeah. People that he might have actually liked. Oh, yeah, that was compare me to Churchill. All right, I'll take that. All right. This was it was this was more fun to watch this time than the first time I watched it. And it had been so long, I remembered nothing about it. I knew Daniel Craig was in it and some of the other people, I guess. I didn't even realize that I'd been introduced to Dumbledore long before I knew who Dumbledore was. (laughs) I had no idea. But, you know, getting introduced to him through this property was pretty interesting. And he is a great character in this. What did you say? He'd win win the Brit off? The British off, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. There's so much Britishness in this movie. There's oh my gosh, yeah. I would with the slang, just everything uh, going on. It absolutely there's this scene in Euro Trip where they wake up on the top of this double decker bus with a bunch of football hooligans. Okay, and uh, they go down, and or maybe it's I don't remember how many of the characters are there, but the one that's like really the one who's supposed to be like working for a law firm that summer, and he did tell him he's leaving, so he keeps taking phone calls, like, Yeah, I'm down in archives, and he's like wherever he's at. he's down there like sitting with one of these guys and they're like drinking on the bus and the guy's just like talking and jabbering and I can't understand anything he's saying. And the American guy looks over. He's like, they're on just like a whole other level of cursing over here. You'd be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that character you're talking about, wasn't that Vinnie Jones? I don't know. I'm pretty sure my fiance was watching that fairly recently. And I remember that scene and it being Vinnie Jones, who was one of those hooligans on the bus. Hmm. Yeah, I Which, don't know. He, I he could have made an appearance in this movie and he would have felt right at home with all this. I'm not even sure that the last time I saw that movie wasn't on VHS. <laughs> That's been a while, but I do remember that. And it's like, yeah, with this, it reminded me of that. It reminded me of like the, you know, speak English, English scene from Austin Powers. Like they're talking about like old Bill is outside or something like that. That's supposed to be the police. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Like, there are just so many little phrases and things that they say that don't make any sense. And I'm sure there's stuff like that in American English that we must say that I don't understand at all. But it's like, I, I just I can't think of any. It's like, yeah, it's one of those things that I mean, you can do everything you want to learn a language. Yeah. doesn't matter. Any the language is not your, you know, your home language. And until you go to wherever that place is that speaks it all the time, you're never really going to get good at it because there's going to be so many little things like that. Yeah. Slang. So many little idiosyncrasies that until you're immersed in it, you may as well just, you're not. Nope. Nope. Like between, you know, England and America, we, we both speak English. Like in, like what uh, Dennis Farina says in snatch. I thought, I thought this country spawned that language. Nobody here seems to speak it. <laughs> like yep. he just couldn't understand what people were talking about it and i think guy Ritchie does some of that stuff on purpose and it's fantastic i absolutely dig all of that yeah they're calling cops causers and things like that mm-hmm. these things that i i, I guess i kind of get but it's like cops they also say cops at certain points mm-hmm. police cops stuff like that it's like were, were all these other terms necessary I don't know. It would be interesting. Is it is it necessary that I drink my own urine? <laughs> no, but it's sterile and I like the taste. 
Yeah, they're just they're they're on a whole other level over there, man. You got that right. They've had thousands of years to come up with this weird slang and like the old firm where he's talking. He's saying the old firm. He's talking right? about, I guess, Scotland Yard. And it's like that one makes sense to have a term like that. Just the old firm, you know, Okay. like the way we would say big brother over here when we're talking about the FBI or NSA or something like that. Yeah. But man, yeah, there's a podcast I used to listen to called James Bonding. <laughs> and I listened to it until they ran out of new Bond movies to talk about. Like they went through all of them. They would like kind of comment on all of them. And they kept coming to these points, particularly in the older ones where they would call it a British off. And it would be a point where all the characters in the room are British in a very British setting. So like a wood paneled room with leather chairs, kind of like what I'm sitting in. And they would just speak and it would just get more, you know, the accent would be more pronounced. The slang would be more English. And it's like it would get to a point where it's like, all right, who won the British off? Who was who was the most British in this scene? <laughs> and it's like that. Yeah, that's what it felt like when Michael Gambon as Eddie Temple was on screen a little bit that way. And then some of the slang like the oh, my God, I can't even think of their names. The ones who are from Liverpool, the guy with the lollipop and oh, the other yeah. dude with the shaved head. Just yeah, especially when you get to some of uh, there's and each different area. London, Liverpool, all these other areas are going to have their own slang and their own accents that can make them even harder to understand. It's, I mean, I, it's like, you know, the Boston accent or, you know, going down South and hearing really, or like a Cajun, Louisiana and Cajun accent <laughs> that you just can't even come close to understanding. Like the guy, the country. Yeah, like, like, what? like the guy in Joe Dirt, home where you make it. <laughs> I, was like, I was actually thinking the guy in uh the water boy okay who's the assistant coach yeah who i can't i'd love i'd love to try and replicate some of the things i can't do it no it would sound so bad we'll not subject any of our listeners to that not doing it yeah not it, gonna do it not gonna do it it's interesting to think about how big the u.s is in comparison to the uk and like our colloquialisms like whether you call like if you had a can of coca-cola to not be inflammatory to anybody. Like if you have a can of Coca-Cola, what you call that depends on where you are, but not the wrong. regions where it's acceptable, where we are in St. Louis soda, but we are sort of like, there's like a 3 million person group here that call it that. And then all around us, everybody calls it pop. Yep. And then when you get to the coasts, it's soda again, weird. Don't know why, but it's like, that's thousands and thousands of square miles where they call it one particular thing where, where you have different accents and different, you know, regional ways of speaking that are, that are within, you know, a, a three or four hour drive of each other. I think that's the biggest that. disconnect between America and Europe is like, if I go from here to Kentucky, they're, <laughs> they're still speaking something I understand, but in Europe, it's a totally different language, totally different way of behaving. I don't know. Yeah, every put any every place the- has just all its own stuff and it's, it is very different, but all these character differences, the way they behave and look and, you know, their backstories, the way they act towards each other, you know, Gene's super aggressive and you find out he's been like this enforcer guy for 30 or 40 years, you know, the way Jimmy Price acts. And then you find out kind of more about him and the type of person he is and what the people around him really think of him. I mean, it's, it adds a lot to the realism. You know, you flesh out the characters more. They don't just show up kind of all act the same way, kind of all talk the same way. You know, they there's depth to them. 
you know, I like that Mr. Lucky, he's kind of a, a you know, not kind of a prick. Is that what they call him? Man yeah. with a prick. <laughs> <laughs> like he just has this way of behaving. He's very calm, very, you know, methodical. He does stuff on his time. You know, he's, he's studying for a French test as he's on his way to do a job. And just, yeah, it makes him feel more realistic to me. Right, because it's like we've talked about before. Everybody has their own thing. And that's one of the things about good storytelling is you can't just have a character that's there to do something you need him to do. You have to ask yourself, why are they there? Yeah, what are how they do you, doing? Yeah, how do you get there? Like, we even right. know his connection to the main character. Like, we know who he knows this guy through. But so, having them have their own motivations that aren't, it's not just, I'm here to do what you want me to do. It's, it's he's listening to this stuff and Daniel Craig's character thinks he's, excuse, excuse me? Is that, what do you, what do you? And he has to like lift off his, his little, you know, earpiece. What? I got a test coming up, man. Just leave me at, like, it's <laughs> doing their own thing. All the characters in this, it's one of the things that made it a really fun to watch movie is they're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, even the ones that were just, you know, whether he's a prick or he's just arrogant or he's almost like a like the Duke, like this comic character that is yeah. a full parody of what Daniel Craig's character is trying to do. Kind of like it's Cody and kind of like Cody and Tiptoes. They're doing their own thing. They're like they're pretending to be very elite, very sort of, I, I guess, upper class Englishmen. You know, mm-hmm. giving themselves fake names and titles and scamming tourists. <laughs> and and then, yeah, their behavior, it's, it's more comical. They're kind of a middle ground. Like, they're taking things much more, you know, yeah, just and those guys, less serious. They were you know, they're more loose. Yeah, they're really good. They're not like the Duke where they're just, you know, off the rails. But they're also not super methodical and, you know, stick to a plan and all this stuff. Like, at one point, mm-hmm. they take that Range Rover. They're like, couldn't leave this behind. <laughs> What a great that was that was just great. There's just small moments in this. A lot of like you mentioned before, really good quotable lines out of this yeah. movie. There's a lot of good stuff in it. And we're trying pretty hard not to get too much into it. We gave a basic idea of what it's about, the whole drug world, gangsters, but we're not we don't want to give away anything in this. It was, you know, I kind of forgot how it all played out, how it you know, how it all ended, the way everything comes together. And it was, it was fun to not know. It was fun to be able to watch this again. And some things, even though you, when you've already seen it, but you hadn't seen it in a really long time, you still kind of know, like I haven't seen seven in years and years and years. I still know what's in the box. Like I'm never not going to know that, but, or the sixth sense or certain things that have this major twist or something, which, but this, the way everything played out, was fairly unexpected. It was just, I I almost don't want to say satisfying. It's like it was and it wasn't. It was really interesting the way it all coalesced and came together at the end. So without spoiling anything, I have to say I, I really enjoyed this pick of yours. This was, I mean, I knew I'd already seen it. It's like, yeah, sure, we can watch this. Fun to watch it again and having not, it, just, it was like watching it again for the first time. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I try not to watch movies too many times, especially if I really like them. If it's just fun, I might watch it, you know, more than once or I'm more likely to like Anchorman. 
Anchorman was funny. You know, well, there weren't that many movies quite like that. You know, we weren't saturated with these Will Ferrell mm-hmm. movies where he's basically doing the same thing pretty much in all of them. So I went and saw it at the theaters, I think multiple times because I had different groups of friends who would call me and want to go see it. So we, I went to it a couple times. But movies like this, I watch very, very infrequently. Like I told you when I got to your house, we're going to have to watch it some other way because my Blu-ray copy, I loaned to somebody at the company I used to work for several years ago and never got it back. And I didn't realize it because I haven't gone to watch it since then. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's mainly for that reason to keep it at least kind of fresh. You know, I want to have details that I forget, which I do most of the time. I forget some of the lines you know, I forget some of the moments I, but I also notice new things, you know, sometimes it builds. See, that's what you get for living in Illinois. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this movie is definitely a watch for me. It's presently on Netflix, at least in the U S I don't know. Some of our listeners are coming from other places. I'm not sure where it's at for them, but you know, if you can find it, I highly recommend giving it a watch because it's just really well done. You know, it's not overly brutal. This is something I really like, actually, about most English movies and shows that I've seen is that the violence is much more toned down. You're not going to see anything on the level of like Invincible or, you know, the John Wick movies or anything like that. And when there is violence, it's much heavier. Yeah, they're they're really dealing with it the way a real person would like. And to I can't imagine what it would be like to kill or maim a person. And yeah, the reactions by different characters in this to some of the violence that happens. There's a scene where one of them has to, let me rephrase that, he doesn't have to, but because of the circumstances and the events that transpire, he chooses to go take out this other guy. There are and a few, he's, yeah, there are a few deaths yeah, he, portrayed in the movie and different ways mm-hmm. that it's handled. You're right, yeah. and But it's if you're the kind of person who doesn't do this normally... You know, this isn't part of like who you are and your function. It would have a real impact on you. And they actually show that. And I, I like that. I did, too. I, I thought that was very, very well done because I've always been of the opinion, even whether it's soldiers at war or any any time a human takes another human's life. I'm sure I've said this in other podcasts of ours, other episodes. I think it irrevocably changes you, mm. whether it makes it easier or not to do it again. And I'm not, it would be easier for me to shoot somebody breaking into my house that might potentially harm my family than it would be for me to have to shoot a dog or something. Because animals, animals just do what animals do. Unless you're talking like a rabid old yeller situation. And even that is fairly, you know, that can be fairly difficult. One of those movies that can be hard to watch because of everything, the buildup, the way it happens at the end. But like humans are, I, I think it just changes you as a person that once that happens, once you cross that line, there's no going back ever. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't drag it out in this movie where the rest of this movie, that's all this character focused on or, but it did a good job of showing how he felt about what happened. And not a lot of movies, I think do that. Some do, some are meant to show you that, but this was one of those unexpected ones. You wouldn't have thought something like that was going to happen in a movie like this, where some of the other characters you're talking nonchalantly 
with some of the violence. Right, right. And I think that's a big flaw in the way at least American movies are. They very much make sex the thing that is taboo and the thing that you can't show or talk about. And then violence is you can do whatever you want. Like some of the things you can just see on regular TV with an antenna is horrific. And I've never really understood it because it's one of these things where sex is a thing that for the vast majority of people on this planet, you are going to experience and, you know, be part of. And it's a natural thing that we do, you know, just as a normal part of life. If you're married, if you have a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you're you're probably doing that you're probably not going out and killing people every day. So I don't know why it's okay to show like this horrific violence and murder in almost every show, but not the other, not the one that's like a positive, you know, supposed to be a positive expression of love that, that a normal couple would do. Well, I think a lot of it, I mean, based on that last part of it, you just said that a normal couple would do and normal couple can vary vastly. Depending well, on what when I say normal, I mean a typical situation in which a I, couple is together, they're consenting, mm-hmm. they have like an active physical aspect to their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things I think that causes it to be thought of in the way that we're talking about where violence is okay versus this is in in the way that you just said, a lot of the sex and things that are on TV, the way it's portrayed, isn't that way. It's portrayed in... I don't want not non-consensual anything like that. It's consensual, but it's done between people who might not even know each other's names. Mm. It's the whole idea that you, this, a state, a city based its entire advertising campaign around it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's the whole point of that. You come here, do whatever you want. And it just stays here. We're not going to tell on you. That's like, they, they, the whole slogan is that. And, you know, it could be also said that that's part of the reason that there's a when some people want to say a decline in morality, that it's things like that, that nobody ever said that, you know, having fun with your partner was ever a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's like there's nothing. And this is my own personal belief, but for a young couple. And if you're going to be a young couple, you're going to get married. It used to be thought of at least that the two people who are going to get married had never done anything before. Right. And the the first time you're doing that. And I do think that there's something about that, that there is no gift greater that you can give as a person to the one that you say you love and are going to spend the rest of your life with, you know, through a marriage. There's no greater gift you can give than that. It's, okay. it's the one thing you can only give once, no matter what, no matter how you look at it, that you can't, nothing else is even comparable. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't make, you can't, there's nothing. And I, it's an experience. Would, it's a shared experience. Absolutely. It's, I've known people who've been in relationships where they're bothered by the fact that, you know, it's not that this other person has a child or whatever it is, but it's that they will never experience firsts together. Mm-hmm. They will never have you know, their first marriage together. They won't have their first child together. They won't have their first, whatever it is, you know, and it's it, that it seems to come into play when one has and one hasn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I totally understand what you're saying with that, but what I'm getting at is more of just like, and this is completely just a, 
a rant that we're going on now, but absolutely. It, it's a thing where I've even seen scenes in movies and shows where they'll hide like genitals, but they'll show like blood and guts and gore. I mean, we all have bits and bobs. I mean, if I want to see some of that, I can just, you know, look at myself in the mirror later on, but you know, I'm not going to see somebody's intestines under normal circumstances. I don't have those. Are, those are, I keep those on the inside. I don't take them out for nothing. <laughs> So I don't, I just don't, don't tell. I don't get this whole thing of like, that's, that's where we draw the line. Like you can show somebody being mauled or whatever happening to them, but you can't show the other, like, it well, seems very strange. And when I watch a lot of, you know, foreign TV and movies, it seems like they maybe kind of have it more right. Hmm? I mean, I get that our action movies are probably cooler. Oh, we have I a mean, lot of that obviously. stuff, but, and I guess that's why, I mean, also the U S is kind of just, George Carlin probably said it best. We're warlike people. You're you're not wrong. Now, I would say I will. Uh, I would argue maybe your point on we have the coolest action movies, with the possible exception of Bollywood. I have seen stuff like come okay. on now. No, you're you're right. I've seen some stuff from Bollywood and some some stuff from different places in Africa that are like just I mean pretty good. So it's pretty hard, good. It's hard right? to deny. <laughs> but this is I know this is a subject we've talked about before. And uh, if you didn't hear the other podcast, I'll, I'll reiterate it this time. I think the reason that one is okay and one is not is because is because of what you said, that one is something that people actually do. And because it's something people actually do, they're less likely to want to show it versus blood and gore and all that. You're not, you're not going to, you know, watch Dexter, you know, watch two seasons of Dexter and then think, yeah, I think I'm going to go kill somebody today, but you might, watch a lot of stuff that has to do with sex and then think, yeah, I think I want to go have some sex today. Hmm. Like one, one will lead you down the path. The other one, it it usually, hopefully won't. I do think some of the stuff that especially young minds are exposed to, like when you're an adult and maybe it was even different when we were kids, we played games on computer as fairly young people like doom or different things like that that were, you know, bloody and gory, but in such an 8-bit, 16-bit Nintendo-ish <laughs> way, two is not ever Mortal Kombat, things like that. They're they're trying to be bloody and gory, and I'm going to rip your spine out and things, but it's done in such a way that it can't possibly be taken seriously. Yeah. And for those who did try and take it seriously, that they, uh, those of us who knew better, who played the things... And we're getting preached at by people who've only ever seen it and just, oh, oh, that's terrible. Oh, my gosh. Well, no, it's just a fun game. That's all it is. But depending on the age range in which you are allowing somebody to be exposed to it, it can cause things like we have had, especially in this country, like the uptick in the number of school shootings because kids who've been exposed to this ultra stylized and hyper violent things for so long, they just think that, well, maybe that's an okay way for me to go. I mean, it's not, and it's not one of those, Oh, it's because there's too many guns. It's because there's this or that. Well, it doesn't matter. Somebody who's wants to do harm to another person. If there's a gun available, yeah, they will use that tool. If there's not, they will use some other tool to do it, Mm -hmm. but it's, I, I could go on a whole rant about why yeah, we I could. think there's school violence. We could actually violence. go on a very big thing about this. I, but we, I would, I would just, 
Well, can I say one thing? Absolutely. I genuinely do. No, you can't. I take I take it back. You can't say. <sighs> I genuinely do think that a component of more extreme school violence is that there are fewer outlets for, I guess, the emotions kids feel. In that when I was going to school, if you got into a fight, you might be punished or made to make up. But you weren't like kicked out of school. It wasn't sort of the end of your life as you knew it as a as a kid. Where now it seems like if you do anything, I mean, in in a lot of cases, I think some of it really is. I mean, when I was in high school, I knew kids who were standing up for themselves and got in trouble for it, you know, because the tolerance for any kind of misbehavior was really going down at that time. Right. So, I mean, there's a I think there's a certain mentality where, like you're saying, when you're exposed to it and it's kind of normalized and then, well, anything short of this, you know, it's basically the same thing. I'm going to get kicked out of school no matter what I do. So why not do something more extreme? I kind of feel like that's where it goes. And I'm not trying to say that there should be, you know, sex and nudity and TV shows and all that. I'm saying it's strange that in the same thing, they will they will make it so clear that a natural function is taboo, but horrifying violence that none of us will probably ever encounter in our entire lives is fine to show in full detail. Yeah, in in the same you know, whatever it is in the same form of media that you're watching all this violence, but then you can have this, but not this in the same thing. Yeah. So I get odd. that. I and the way that's, that that's a fair point, the way that movies like this handle it is so much more realistic feeling, you know, the impact it would have is different for different people. And we see that in this. So that's all I've got to say about that. And I don't know how much of that we're going to end up leaving in. It was, so it was you, a lot. Have you rendered your verdict or have we just been? No, I have gathering? not. Um, but it's, it can be no surprise based on the stuff that we've talked about so far. Watch or not to watch. I have to say watch. Um, I don't think this movie is going to be for everybody, but no, I enjoyed both, it. Both the girls just were playing with their phones the entire time. I looked over at one point and all three of you had your phones out. I I think you were looking something up, though. But yeah, I think a little moment of like, something. Mm-hmm, I see how it is. <laughs> I mean, a couple times I had my book out too. So yeah, well, you do. You take your book to the theater. Even this is a no okay. There was one thing, about, by the way, that I thought was a really interesting part of this. When the scene where when he first meets the Duke's nephew in the bar. Oh yeah, played by Ben Wishaw, who's from The Hour, which oh. I meant to bring up. That was okay. that might have been a point I was meaning to make earlier and then lost it. But he was in the hour, which was a BBC miniseries. I really liked about, you know, stuff going on at the BBC during the cold war. Okay. And he's the one who plays Q in the new bond movie. So it's the first time, like it's so basically like, you know, chemistry test between nice. him and Daniel Craig. And I think they play off each other well in this and well in the bond movies. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting. It's that scene where, Daniel Craig's like up against this couch and he's focused on this girl who's like on the dance floor and she's like eyeing him and he's eyeing her and you know, he's got his arms out and then the Duke's nephew is just talking, 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 talking and he's paying like zero attention to him. And just the dynamic of that, how this one person you see who just feels the need to fill the air with sound just because (laughs) I'm, I'm this and I can get you this and I can do this and I'm this guy. And like, but it, it literally means nothing. He's got no power. He's just kind of this 
little skinny, whiny, not in charge of anything kind of guy. And Daniel Craig has this cool, subtle presence about him. And it was just, you know, the dichotomy between those two things in that scene. I thought the director did a really good job of just showing that. Doesn't have to say anything. Doesn't have to have somebody come up and expose information about how these two were different. Just showing that little bit right there was enough for us to understand that. Yeah, I agree. That was a great scene. And it's a, yeah, it's like, it's like we were saying earlier, it's an, an illustration of the differences between different types of people. Yeah. This movie is all about an interesting, I mean, if you're into it, an interesting story, uh, a world of somebody getting wrapped up into something because of the people that they're dealing with and then having to deal with these situations that are basically thrust upon them. And the characters in it are so good. It's not like, you know, a Green Knight kind of movie where it's a character study over this one person. I mean, you do get on a nice arc with Daniel Craig's character and the things that he goes through and who he is in the beginning versus who he is at the end. But it's it's all about all the other characters, too, how good they are. It's it's fun. It's all the way around fun. I have to I have to call watch on this one for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that was a shocker to everybody who was listening. Yeah, right. I couldn't have possibly figured that out. It's hard to talk about this one without spoiling anything. There's so many great moments, so much to talk about, but it's one of those movies you want to leave for people to see, mm-hmm. even though it's older. You know, like uh, I, th- I thought about this the other day that I went to Best Buy. A friend of mine called me years ago and was like, they have uh, DVDs of Equilibrium, which was not the easiest movie to find like in a physical form. So I went up there and they had one or two copies left and I took it to the register and the guy, he was a little younger than me and he was like, okay, I have to ask, what is the deal with this movie? He's like, we've been open for two hours and you're like the eighth person who's bought this so far. Golly. And so I explained a little bit of it to him, like the minimal amount so that it wouldn't spoil anything as far as what the movie is about. It's like, he's like, okay, I'm going to run back and like grab a copy for myself real quick. And I want people to have that enough that they know what they're getting into, but I want them to be able to go and find it and have their own experience. Yeah. There's some, some well done things in this. I think the last one I want to mention is there's a scene with a character named Morty. uh, And they're in a diner. Mm, The region. And there's something that happens there. But at the same time, it's flashing between what Morty and Daniel Craig's character are experiencing and what the Duke is doing. And it's going back and forth between those two scenes in basically this one like conglomeration of a scene. And again, as I said in the very beginning, it doesn't necessarily feel, quote unquote, like a Guy Ritchie movie. But the things that he does in this are just really interesting. I really like the way it's filmed. I like the pacing of everything how it all comes together just and I, I get, I mean, I enjoy him as a director. Most yeah. things that I've seen that he's directed, I've enjoyed. There's a lot of show. Don't tell. There's a lot of very natural dialogue, not overly explained. Oh, well natural dialogue. If you're British. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it feels natural. The, the interactions yes. feel natural. There's no point at which somebody stops to tell somebody. Oh, this thing we are looking at here is this. And there's no like dialogue that makes no sense because it's all just gibberish that's made up to, you know, for like the tech person or for the chemistry person or whatever it is right. that they're doing. Absolutely. I mean, 
it's it's told very well in a believable mm-hmm. way, even though it's outlandish. A little. Is that it? You said yep. everything we need to say? And I think Michael Gambon is the ultimate bad guy in this. I mean, they're all drug dealers. There's no good guys. They're all bad guys, but he's really, really good at it. His presence, the way he talks, his slower movements, the relaxed way he is and the presence he has. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is one of those things where you can say it's just there's a presence there mm-hmm. with him and it's him as an actor, him as this character. Ooh, so good. Mm. The very first scene that introduces him. Yeah. It's just super good. Yeah. All right, man. That's it. So if anybody out there wants to reach out and comment or yell at us or suggest something or whatever you want to do, we're available by email. We're moviehowl at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at moviehowl. That's right. You want to come talk to us, you get in there nice and deep like. So thanks uh, once again, all Halligans, for listening. Now I have do to hope you on, enjoyed it. I have to put on the explicit tag now because of you. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that explicit? Implied. The implied tag. It's only as dark as you make it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, indeed. Indeed it is. But folks, as we said before, thanks once again. We both, Ryan and I, really appreciate this. We have a really good time doing it. Uh, we hope you have a good time listening. Until next time, I've been Joe. I've been Ryan. And we are out.